Well, good morning, church family. I hope you had a wonderful week. So glad to see you today. We're going to begin a three-part series I'm just calling Christian Atheism. Christian Atheism. And there's more than one kind of an atheist. Obviously, there is a philosophical atheist, but then there's what I call a Christian atheist. For example, I believe in God, but I don't talk much about God to my friends. I believe in God, but I worry incessantly all the time. I believe in God, but I can still carry a grudge and hate. I believe in God, but what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. <laughs> yeah, I say I believe in God, but I live exactly the opposite. So what I'd like to try to do in the next three weeks is bridge that gap so that you renew your mind to actually know who you are, what He's done for us, so you can live way above this low level of Christian atheism and live with strength and courage and confidence and peace and a sense of new identity. And I'm going to talk to you about spiritual adoption. What does it mean when we say we have been adopted, quoting the Bible, into the family of God? It means a lot more than you think it means and a little bit different than you and I associate adoption in our culture today. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26, Paul says, you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free male nor female, Baptist nor Lutheran, no Episcopalian nor Primitive Baptist, American Baptist, Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist, Bible Baptist, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as you are, as long as you are an heir and still a child, you're no different than a slave, although you own the entire estate. He is subject, this little child, is subject to guardians and governors and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children spiritually, we were in slavery under all the basic elements of this world. But when the time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons... God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, the spirit who cries out, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave but a son, and since you're a son, God has made you an heir. There's an inheritance here. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves. But now that you know God, how is it you're turning back to these weak and miserable principles that you think can make you happy, give you peace, and give you joy? This passage of Scripture is called by theologian, the doctrine of adoption, that God by His Holy Spirit actually adopts you as you come to know and trust Jesus to be His son or His daughter. So I'm going to look at that and see if it helps us renew our minds and change the way we believe when we say, I believe in God. It ought to affect how we act, how we think, and how we behave. So here we go. Number one, adoption means to be given a future. Adoption means to be given a future. If you've been adopted by God, you've been given a glorious future. And the most important part of adoption in Paul's day was the connection between adoption and inheritance. You got something out of this. It wasn't just, I'm going to take you off the street, keep you warm. It's about inheritance. 
Now, in our day, we mostly think about adoption as something you do for an orphan, to give an orphan a family, to take them into your home. In Paul's day, adoption was not about providing a home to an orphan. In Judaism, an orphan child would be cared for by other relatives, but there was no formal legal adoption process attached. Adoption was done mostly, listen, by the wealthy and powerful, but it was not about taking care of orphans. It was about passing on the family estate and the family's lineage to a next generation. It was done to ensure the survival of the family. Now, in the Roman world, the head of the family wanted to make sure his estate, his name, his influence would go on into the future. But if he had no male heir, that was a problem. If he didn't have a male heir, then the family and all of its wealth would go to someone else. So the father would select a male heir through process of adoption. When the father was going to adopt, he didn't look for an orphan kid to pull in off the street to say, hey, I'll take you to my house. In fact, very often, if you were adopted, you would be allowed to remain in your biological father's home for quite a while. When orphans did get taken in, it was generally to be a family slave. So when a father didn't have a male heir, he had to look for who is somebody a child or a young man that I think can carry my name, handle my estate, and continue my work into future generations. So to be adopted in that world was a tremendous honor and an incredible opportunity. It meant the head of the family believed in you, chose you, wanted you to carry on his work, his name, and his family after he was gone. What an incredible privilege. This wasn't some pitiful little orphan pulled in off a street. This was somebody deemed by the father worthy to carry his name, his inheritance into the future. So to be adopted by a great, powerful, wealthy father was like winning the lottery. It was a chance of a lifetime. The father was promising to bless you with everything that he had. You could carry on his name. You could extend his influence throughout the world. So Paul is saying, listen, He's using the natural to teach us spiritual principles. He said, if you've been adopted by God Almighty, the most powerful father in the universe, the wealthiest father in the universe, this is who you are. You have a glorious future. That's why he says in Galatians 4 verse 7, if you're adopted as a son, then you're an heir. The fundamental significance of adoption was inheritance. You're an heir. You're in a new family. Adoption means whatever's gone on in your past, forget it. You've got a glorious future. So he says to us who are believers, live like it. Number two, to be adopted means forgiveness from my old debts. In those days, families if they got in financial trouble, fathers would literally sell their children into slavery to get money. And that still happens in some parts of the world. It's worse that when the father died, his biological son would be obligated to pay off all the father's debts. But if that son got adopted by another wealthy, powerful father, he was set free, he was redeemed from all the debts incurred by his old family. That's a good pause right here and caveat to say, we were all related to Adam, and in Adam all die. And God who redeemed you took you out of that old family, put you into a new family, the family of God, and all your debts through Adam are canceled. In Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. 
I'm debt free. Not in San Antonio, but in, in Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, if an old cre- uh, creditor came after you, after you've been adopted by this wealthy father, you just point him to your new daddy and say, hey, take it up with him. I got a new daddy. I got a sugar daddy. I don't owe you anything. Paul is saying, Christian, that's you. Quit trying to do penance. Quit trying, don't put charcoal on your forehead. Quit trying to to say, well, if I go to church more often, and you should, some of you ought to be spanked. You should, but not to earn anything. So you can grow up and be strong. Quit being such a little uh, a little pygmy, you know, that doesn't grow at all. But my point was, he says, it's paid for. Your debt's been paid for. So Paul is saying, that's you. If you've been adopted by God, you can look forward to a great future. You can look forward to an incredible inheritance. And you are right now free from all your moral indebtedness. God says, as far as the east is from the west, if you go east, you'll never get west. As far as the east is from the west, so far have your sins been forgiven. I will remember them no more. And if that's the case, why do you keep carrying that? Why? I know why, because you've been to church. (laughs) See, we're supposed to lift burdens, and we just put them on people. That's what the Pharisees did. He says, my, Jesus, tell them, "You, you you put burdens on my people that my father never had a thing to do with. Well, anyway, I know you're excited to hear that, right? Anybody in this room ever commit a sin? I doubt it. Y'all look so good and well-behaved. But if you ever have, and if you carry guilt or shame or regret, as we all have, Paul is saying, if you've been adopted by God, you don't have to carry that around anymore. You've been released. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ. Quit condemning yourself. Well, I behaved terrible, and it was my fault. I know it. But you've been released from that. You've been redeemed from that. That debt has already been canceled and paid for. Paul is saying, if you've been adopted by God, you don't carry that anymore. You are released. When the accuser comes to you and brings shame or regret or guilt over your past, you point to your heavenly Father and say, you take it up with him, Jack. Paul says in verse 5, adoption means you have brand new forgiveness. Do you live that way or do you live condemned and guilty and never good enough? Number three, adoption means a new security for insecure people. Now, this would involve an elaborate ceremony. If a biological father was going to give up his son for adoption to a wealthy and powerful new father, he would sell him to a mediator. Listen to these words, a third party. The mediator would buy the son from the biological father and then release him back to the biological father. At some point, the son would now belong to the mediator, and the mediator at some point would then take that son to this new, powerful, wealthy, adopted father. And the new father would make this his legal son. And the reason for this cumbersome ceremony was that biological fathers would often sell their sons into bondage, and if they came into money, buy the son back, and they would do this over and over again. And you can imagine how that would devastate a child, bought, sold, bought, sold, always insecure. So this ceremony was a way of ensuring for this adopted son that you will never, ever be sold again. You belong to the new father forever. It was an irrevocable promise, and nobody can change that. There's a father who now believes in you, 
who is saying, no matter what, you will always be my son. God says, you have been grafted, you have been engraved in the palm of my hands. Jesus says, no man shall pluck you from my hand. God says, you are the apple of my eye. That's King James 1611 talking about the pupil. You try to touch your pupil and the eye will protect itself instantly. God says, you to me are like the pupil of an eye. I am crazy about you. I will protect you. The child in this kind of a case belongs to a new father forever. He could never be disinherited. Now, listen to this. Adoption was more serious and secure than being a biological son of a father. An adopted son could never be written out of the will, could never be given up. A biological son could, but not an adopted son. And Paul is screaming at you. This is who you are. God wants you to be insecure, secure in him, no matter the circumstances. He says, I'll never give you up. I'll never cast you away. Nobody will take you from my hand. You can't be more secure. You go to some churches, and they, you're, you're, you have to get resaved every Sunday. <laughs> Guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I'm thinking, I am secure as I'll ever be the rest of my life. I couldn't be loved more. I couldn't be paid for more. I couldn't be more close to my father. I'm adopted. And I didn't have a thing to do with it, except I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, my will is to be there. I love being there. I couldn't do it for myself, but he would never cast me away from his presence. God wants you to be secure no matter what the circumstances that you're facing or the failure you've gone through. Anybody know insecure people? Sheesh, we all do. But God says, I don't want you to live that way or face that. You can have what everybody in the world tries to get from a better job, better health, more attractiveness, more stuff, better success, more money, better title, better power, but never makes them secure. God says, I'm going to give you all this. If you'll let me adopt you, I'll give you a future. I'll give you a brand new security, release from all debts, and you don't have to live insecure anymore. Are you living that way? Well, I don't know. This happened, and I'm not sure God loves me. You need to renew your mind. You, You can have all kind of trouble being adopted. You could be Rockefeller's kid and have trouble, but you're still Rockefeller's heir. That's not changing anything, and it's not changing anything. God didn't change his mind about you just because you didn't perform very well. I think all of us at some point in all of our lives don't perform very well. Whether you're an athlete or whether you're a Christian, there are just some days not so good. But I'm still adopted. I'm totally secure. I'm totally bought and paid for. Nobody can owe me anything. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. So that comes from the accuser, and if I don't know what Jesus has done for me by adopting me, I'll be tormented. I'll be tortured. I'll feel terrible about myself. I don't feel terrible about myself. (laughs) That just ticks off some people. I'm sorry you have a problem with me, but God doesn't have a problem with me. God says, 
I will, if you'll allow me to adopt you, give you security so you don't have to live life insecure and you don't have to get your security from what you own or how pretty you are or how buff you are or how many women you can sleep with, how much beer you can drink or how many square feet you can get in a house. None of that's bad by, well, some of that's bad, but not all of that's bad by itself. Sorry, I didn't mean to include everything, but my point was God says, I don't want you to get your security from that. What if tomorrow you lost everything and you had to drive a truck? I still love you. You're my child. Nothing changed. You're still an heir of mine. Whether you're driving a 10-year-old Toyota or a brand new uh, Mercedes, that doesn't change anything. Everybody got that? So you have to renew your mind or you'll try to get your identity from that stuff, and we can't compete on that level. Number four, adoption means you get a new identity. You're not who you were anymore. When you get adopted by this new father, he'd give you a new name. Now you're going to have to regard yourself completely different. Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. You may look the same, but you're not the same anymore. You've got a brand new identity. This brand new adoptive powerful father would introduce the new son to all the members of his family. And they would all formally acknowledge, yes, this is father's son. Then his name would be entered into the official registry, and he could never be taken out just like you and I are entered into the Lamb's book of life when we accept Jesus. And once that introduction was made, nobody could dispute this child belongs to this brand new father. And this is Paul saying, if you've been adopted in Christ Jesus, all you who were baptized into Christ, so then you become part of God's family. You have been adopted by a great father with a great name. You are somebody. You're a priest and a king. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. I made you that way. Now stand up. Act like it. Talk like it. Think like it. Quit walking around and slouchy. Suck your thumb. Self-pity. I'm just a worm. I'm no. That's not who God made you to be. I don't carry myself like that. Sometimes I want to kick myself, but... I don't feel in God that that's who I am. I'm just disappointed that I was below my, I was below a level I know I could do better on. I said, that's, that's not who I am. So we live in a world where people go crazy trying to prove, I'm somebody, look at me, notice, watch athletes who suddenly get multiple millions of dollars of contracts. They can't buy enough jewelry. They can't get enough women. They can't get enough houses. Now, there's nothing wrong with jewelry or cars or women appropriately, appropriately, (laughs) nothing wrong with that. But what's wrong is if that's how you get your identity. What do you do if you lose that? Are you just nothing anymore? Listen, preacher, just forget picking on people out here. Preachers are doing it all the time. How many books have I got? Have you got my new book? And it's all, everything on Twitter is about me, my, myself, my book, my, my, how many channels I'm on, how many satellite churches we have, and where, where I live and what I drive. And it's me and my and I and me, and it's notice me. I am somebody. And I, the self-promotion is sickening. And I thought, I can't compete. Well, I like me. I'm just grateful to have a job. I'm just grateful you come. Obviously, I wish I could do better, but I'll do the best I can. But I don't go home and say, I'm nobody. No, you got to walk that lonesome valley. You got to walk it by. This is Kingston Trio. Because nobody else can walk it for you. That's back in the 50s, honey. You weren't even born. I don't know. You got to walk it by. That's whole back folk music. Anybody remember that? Joan Baez, Peter, Paul, and Mary. 
I go way back, way back, when, when radios had tubes in them, you know, and stuff. Yeah, that's okay. I got an iPad now. I don't have any tubes. I'm, you could teach an old dog new tricks. Sure you can. But, I, but I'm trying to say, everybody's trying to notice me. Uh, I'm important. Careful. Oh, I'm friends with so-and-so. Now you'll know. Well, I appreciate it. I've got a few friends that are very powerful people, and I am so grateful. But if they threw me away tomorrow, I'm still, I'm still special to God. I still have my own self-worth and security. I'm a child of God. I don't have to prove I'm somebody. When God enters me into the book of life and calls me his child and a priest and a king, there is nothing that can compete with that on my resume at all or yours. So act like it. This is good news. Resign from this treadmill and insane race. I'm special to God. I am somebody. Number five, adoption means you can look forward to a brand new freedom. Now, if the new father died, while the adopted son was still a minor, the father would arrange in their will for the child to be cared for by a guardian or a tutor, Paul says. The tutor would have all rights over you as a child. They would have that power until the child came of age. In the Roman Empire, girls came of age at 12, boys around 14 to 18. So if you were an adopted son and your new wealthy, powerful father died, you were under guardians and tutors, and legally, you have no rights yet, although you're going to inherit everything. Being under a tutor was like a slave under a master. So guess what? You're living for the day. You're set free. And sometimes the father would write in the will at what age that would be. So if you're adopted, you're looking for freedom day. This is why Paul writes in Galatians 4, verse 1, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, why, he's no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subjected to guardians and tutors until the time set by his father. So also, Christian, when we were children spiritually, we were in slavery under the basic elements of this world. But when the time was fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so we could become free. And so Paul says, now that you know Jesus, you've been adopted, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. Now pause. Interesting thought. Paul uses the word sons. We are all sons, even though he just said in Christ there's neither male nor female. So why does he say you're all sons rather than you're all children? Because in that culture, no girl could be adopted. See, if, a, if, if, I, if they became orphaned, they might be brought up in a family as a girl and usually become a house servant. But they could not get legally adopted because a girl couldn't be a son. So she couldn't be the head of a family, and she couldn't produce sons for the father. A girl could not even inherit. If a father died with a daughter and no son, his estate would pass to the nearest male relative. But that male relative, listen, was required to marry that daughter to get the estate and to produce sons. If the male relative was already married, he was expected to divorce his current wife, happy Valentine's Day and marry the daughter to get the estate. So Paul is saying that now what earthly fathers only gave male sons, the heavenly father is giving to sons and daughters, male and female alike. 
In Christ, you are no longer a slave. You're no longer Jew or Gentile. You are all sons of God. Do you see what he's trying to say? He understood they knew in that culture that if you were being adopted and you were a girl, you couldn't inherit. So he's saying in Christ, male or female, you can inherit and you all become spiritually sons of the Most High God. He says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Who would adopt a slave in that culture? Nobody, but God does. There's neither male nor female. Who would adopt a female? Unthinkable in Paul's day, but God does. This is cool. So the whole world, Paul says, is in bondage, religious people and irreligious people. Sometimes he talks about people, primarily Israel, under bondage to the Mosaic law, legalism and rules keeping, and then often he would refer to the other kind of bondage, desire, appetite, addictions, impulses, usually referring to the Gentiles. But either way, it was bondage, and you could have bondage both ways, and I know people in bondage both ways today. And he doesn't want you in bondage. So when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem all those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of adoption as sons. Now, God sent his son. Remember, we talked about the mediator just a minute ago. When a son was going to be adopted, there would be a mediator sent by the father who would pay the price, whatever that was agreed on, for your redemption, for your adoption. Well, God sent his son. Because you were under the power of sin, death, and guilt, and you and I could not pay the debt. It required a sinless life. I'm out. How about you? I couldn't pay that bill. The father sent his own son to be the mediator to pay the price, and the price he pays is his own life. That was unthinkable because no mediator ever gave his own life. Ah, but this mediator did. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Now, a lot of you come from different religious backgrounds, so watch what I'm going to say nicely. One God, one uno mediator. I'm bilingual. That was it. <laughs> how, many, how many mediators? Between God and man. I don't see St. Peter in there. I don't see Mary in there. I don't see any saint in there. I don't see any priest in there. I don't see any preacher in there. I just see one mediator between God and man. Now, would you say that's a clear scripture? Just one, one mediator. Some of you came from backgrounds. Well, I'm going to ask Mary to intervene for me. I'm going to ask Peter. Forget it. Peter's sorry rascal anyway. I mean, he, he walked with Jesus three and a half years, saw what you and I could only dream of seeing, and he left the ministry and still cussed. If I say one bad word, people leave this church. <laughs> I, 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 I tell you, folks, we're not really very tough. So one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. What an incredible price. Jesus paid the whole price to adopt you, full price, which required his sinless life. 
You've been adopted. So you have a heavenly father who believes in you, who chooses you, who wants to bless you with everything that he has so you can spread the influence of his family and his estate in this sorry dark world. We now have in Christ a new future, new forgiveness, new identity, new security, and brand new freedom, totally released from anything that was into all things have become new into this day. Paul says if you ever get that in your brain, it's going to affect the way you live and the way you talk and the way you act. Did you know when you're adopted, you get chosen? Now, I got kids, and we didn't choose them. We got what came out. How about you? But in adoption, you get to select. And God says, in this culture, you wanted to select somebody you believed in who could take your inheritance and your name and carry it forward. Why would he call us witnesses? Why would he tell us to bring good news to the whole world? Why would he tell us to occupy the land, expand our influence of bringing good news, not condemnation in the earth? Because he chose you. He believes in you. He adopted you. He, could, he knew my flaws. He knew I'm rough. He knew that. He knew I'd rather be a fighter pilot or a rock and roll enter. He knew that. I know I'm not soft and huggy. He knew that. And some of you don't need a huggy soft. You need me. And that's why God chose me. I'm not for everybody. I don't think so either. But I'm just right for what he wants to do, and you're just right for what he wants to do. And if you don't believe that, you'll be smoking dope after the service. You'll just be, you'll be getting drunk. You'll just be feeling sorry. You'll be in psychiatric care called counseling forever, forever. I just don't get it. Now, could you imagine being given this incredible gift and then just neglect it, act like it doesn't exist? Four wealthy brothers decided to give gifts to their elderly mother for Christmas. She lived far away. First son says, well, boys, I, I built mom a big house for Christmas. Second son, well, I put a $100,000 Adobe theater in that house. Third son says, well, I called my Mercedes dealer and delivered her a new SL600. Fourth son said, well, you know, mom loves the Bible. She can't see well enough to read anymore. I bought her a parrot that can recite the whole Bible. It took this guy 12 years to train this parrot. And all she has to do is mention the book of the Bible, and this parrot will quote it. I had to pay $100,000 a year for 20 years for that parrot, but it's worth it for Mama. After the holidays, Mama sent thank you cards. Dear Milton, the house you built's too big. I only live in one room. I can't even clean the whole thing. Thanks anyway. Dear Marvin, I'm too old to travel. I stay home. I get my groceries delivered. The Mercedes sits in the garage. Thanks anyway. Dear Michael, the expensive Dolby Sound Theater you built for me holds 50 people, but all my friends are dead, and I can't see well enough to use it. Thanks anyway. Ah, dear Melvin, you were the only son to have good sense to give thought to your gift. The chicken was delicious. (laughs) Paul, you think, no, no, no. And Paul is saying, you've been given this fabulous gift of adoption, and you just throw it away like it doesn't exist. You've got this great inheritance, this great promise. God's given you his name. He's given you his blood. He's given you his word. He's given you power and authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, to bind and loose, to represent me on earth, and you just live like a refugee? No, you've been adopted. You have a great future. And so he says, don't throw it away. You've got great promise. If you're a son, then you're an heir. And that's the whole point of the adoption deal. There's a father who loves you and wants you to live that kind of a life. If you're a son, 
then you're an heir. And this inheritance is not in heaven, it's now. Jesus has died now. See, what everybody thinks they can get through beauty or buff or possessions or, or title or influence or power only comes by the Spirit of life through Christ. What we all want is love and joy and peace. And we keep thinking, if I get this or if I have certain circumstances, I'll have that, but it never works out. It comes through God's Spirit, and He made you that way. Nobody can complete you. No wife can make you happy. No husband can satisfy every need you have. No house, no car, no amount of money. Solomon had all the women a man could want. One thousand women, Lord Jesus. And all the riches in the world, richest man at the time, and the smartest man, I ain't too sure about that one. But at the end of the day, he said, it's all vanity. It didn't give him what he wanted. And God made you that way. Only He can satisfy you. It comes through His Spirit. Now you've been adopted and the Spirit is available to you through Jesus Christ. So am I living beneath my privilege? That's the question. Paul says, because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts crying out, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father. Now, Paul doesn't say, I cry it out. He doesn't say, you cry out. He says, the Spirit is crying out inside of us, Daddy, Daddy. In other words, whether you know it or not, even your longing to be loved is an echo of God's longing to love you, God working inside of you. I close with an illustration I read some time ago about a daddy who took his three-year-old to the grocery store. And the kid was cranky and whiny and fussy, a three-year-old kid, you can imagine. He won't stop crying. So the father is whispering quietly, it's okay, Billy. It's okay. We'll be done soon, Billy. We'll be done soon. You're going to be all right, Billy. It's going to be okay. And a woman heard him and says, you are so patient and kind with your son, Billy. He says, my son's name is Justin. I'm Billy. <laughs> Kids will do that to you. So he doesn't know what else to do. He can't get the kid to stop crying. So he starts to just sing a little song. He makes up the, the, it's dumb. He just makes up lyrics. He just makes up a dumb little tune and starts singing, I'm so glad you're my son. I'm so grateful to be your dad. I love seeing your face. It makes me happy when you smile. I love dreaming of what you'll be like one day when you grow up. I want you to know wherever you go, whatever you do, I'll always love you. I'll always be your daddy. You will never be alone. And he said, little three-year-old eyes got kind of big. He got real quiet. He got real calm. And he listens all the way to the car. The daddy puts him in a car seat. Dad gets in the front seat to drive off. And little Justin said, sing it to me again, daddy. Sing it to me again. Because folks, you never get too old to hear that song. That's the song we were all born to hear, and no other song can take its place. And Jesus gives His Spirit so He can sing to us, I am your daddy, Abba, Father. I love you. I chose you. You are secure. Your debts are canceled. You have a great and glorious future. I want you to spread my influence in the world. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How about a good amen for Jesus? That's who He is and what He's done for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, sometimes we think and act like we're all grown up and big and strong and smart and in control, but we know, we really know that's not the deepest truth about us. All of us are little children, and we get afraid, and we want to know that somebody cares about us, loves us. 
We worry about what happened yesterday. Maybe we're anxious about what's coming tomorrow. So sing it again, Father, that song that through Jesus we are loved, we are adopted, that no matter how bad we mess stuff up, no matter what disappointments or failures, we are sons and daughters you chose and you love. So sing it again through your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit present right now in this room. Sing it again, Holy Spirit, that we are daddies, uh, that He loves us and will never cast us away. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I hope you that are believers in Jesus will renew your mind and let all that junk go. Quit trying to prove something, be something. Enjoy who God's made you to be. Don't live under guilt, shame, and condemnation over the past. Don't get into a performance deal where you got to do this, 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 and this, and then daddy will love you. No, no, no. He's not an earthly daddy. He loves you unconditionally, unmerited favor, grace. You didn't deserve any of it. It just proves who he is, not who I am. But I got adopted, and I'm in that family, and I couldn't be more secure or more loved no matter what I own or don't own or how I perform or don't perform. Anybody got lots of kids knows there's a daddy's love even when they don't perform well, even when they are terribly disappointing and make choices that are harmful that we don't approve. Our heart even feels more compassion towards them because they're our kids. And this heavenly Father feels the same way about you. Never will He forsake you. Never will He deny you, ever. If you don't know Him, if you're not sure you've been adopted into the family of God, I didn't say you didn't join a church. I said, get in the family of God. The Bible says, as many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power, dunamis, to become sons of God. God wants you, male and female, Jew and Gentile, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. He wants you in his family. And he doesn't deny anyone that right of adoption. And it comes through the one who mediated that price, Jesus. And that mediator brings us to the Father, bought and paid for. If you've never done that, I want to pray for you. If you have, but you have doubt about whether you're adopted or not, but you want to be sure this morning, then let me include you in my prayer. I won't embarrass anyone, but I would like to pray for you. Just slip a hand up so I can include you. Just slip it up and take it down. That's it, all over the auditorium. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Don't be ashamed. This is great news. This is what Jesus came to give you, good news. Nobody can get, Buddha can't give you that. Muhammad can't give you that. You know, good works can't give you that. Jesus can give you that, and that's what he's done for you. Paul says, now let that affect how you live, confident, boldly, courageously, joyfully. And when the Holy Spirit is sent to live in us as believers, we get love, joy, peace, kindness, temperance, self-control. My goodness, there's nothing I can't do with the Holy Spirit in me if I'll just stop and yield to Him. I don't, have to, I don't have to get angry. I don't have to lose my temper. I have self-control. I can't tell. I, as a believer, I can't say, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you can, because the Holy Spirit wasn't invited, because He gives you self-control. I can bite my tongue when my wife's late getting dressed to come to church. I don't have to lose my temper. I don't have to argue. I don't have to belittle her. I can just have self-control. 
How long did that take you, Rick? Well, you don't want to know. It's been a long, long, long time. But I'm there. And you can be there too. He's always around us. He's within us. And he loves us. And he wants to keep telling you how much he loves you. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.